become a nightmare Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town Like a cancer that's silently spreading There's an unspoken fear We're on our way down We must eat America back Main Street to Wall Street Cities and states Washington, D.C. Before it's too late, there's not long We need leaders who lead us Not stick us and bleed us Then ransom our future and our children's That's wrong They'll try to silence our voices They'll pretend to be patriots Oh, there we are. Hey, welcome everyone to uh, the Rebel and the Renegade Roundtable here on the 14th day of January in the year of 2024. And... uh, you know, I'm just really lucky to have these guys join me. And uh, before we uh, jump into a little bit of conversation here, I want to ask each and every one of you to support Republic Broadcasting Network. Step up there, hit that donate button, and we'll have some announcements as we move through the next two hours to give you a little bit more information on our latest uh drive to bring money into keeping free speech free and uh sounds a little odd doesn't it but uh we have to fight for this because nobody's going to give it to us but uh let me bring in my uh uh esteemed panel here the renegades and let's start with richard carey richard how you doing my friend i'm doing good mike thanks and how are you tonight sir well, if I was any better, I would be illegal in every northern state. That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> All right. And then uh, I'm going to jump to my buddy out there in, uh, uh, I can't believe he's still in California. David, Mr. Scorpio yourself, himself. Dave, how you doing? Um, hanging in there, Mike. Uh, looking forward to our conversation and um, glad to be here with you all. Well, thank you, buddy. And now I've got my good. None other than Stephen Douglas Whiter, our being host, as are the other two gentlemen. And Stephen has a great announcement to make about what we're going to do on the 27th of January. Stephen, you yes, want to sir. tell folks? Saturday, 27th of January. That'll be two weeks from yesterday, uh, 4 to 7. Uh, your, during your, your show time, we're going to un-erase the USS Liberty with some of the Phil Turney and some members, some survivors from that event. 
Buddy, I can't wait for that. I think it's yes, going to be sir. fantastic. Thank you for putting it together. I'm I'm proud to have done it. I've been wanting to do this for a while. It, the truth it, it has got to be remembered. Well, you know, these guys don't need to be dishonored the way they have been. Man, I tell you what. Uh, as I sent to you a couple of days ago, or maybe a day ago, Stephen, I can't even imagine what it's like for these men to have been out there serving their country and to be attacked, killed. Their ship tried, they tried to sink their ship. And these men fought valiantly in every way they possibly could, only to be discredited by their own government. And a bunch of idiots out there who are screaming, you know, oh, Israel didn't know it was an accident. Go ahead, buddy. That's it. it I've always, my dad uh, told me about the liberty. Uh, you know, dad was uh, one of the marauders, and I think there was a kind of an affinity because of that, maybe because they were. You know, they volunteered for a dangerous mission, and it was six months behind enemy lines. And you know what? You know what happened, sir. I mean, how everybody knows. But there's a. It just. I don't know. He just felt uh, uh, something because of that, and did make me aware of it. But uh, to be able to do this show, I hope he's listening. Yes, me too, buddy. Hey, are you aware that there is a monument to Merrill's Marauders in Fort Smith, Arkansas? Oh no, sir. In, in Arkansas, I, I I knew that there was something down at uh, in in Georgia. There was a, a museum that included them, the Rangers, but I did not know there was one in in, in Fort Smith, no sir. Yes, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be, don't hold me to this, but if I'm not mistaken, Merrill was actually from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Okay, and I think that may be the reason for that monument there. But I guys, there's a bridge in New Hampshire. Sorry, go ahead, sir. Yes, no, 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 buddy, go ahead. I, there is a there, there's a, a memorial bridge in New Hampshire, but uh, I I was not aware of that other monument. And, but uh, yeah, this is I'm really looking forward to that show too, sir. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I know you were going to mention that, but I'm glad you did. And and, and it's been it, it, it's really a, a good thing. I'm glad we're doing that, y'all. RBN, y'all y'all mark your calendar and spread the word. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, guys, uh, you know, there's been a couple of things happen. You know, I had uh, a couple of ideas about tonight's program, and always know I get just excellent response from you three gentlemen. But one of the things, you know, today that that's really been weird, and I can't understand. Somebody please help me understand, guys. How can anyone absolutely support or claim to support especially a confederate those of us who are confederates and believe in the confederate cause because i said recently i don't think it should be called the civil war it should be the federalist against the versus the anti-federalist war because that in essence is what it is but also uh i was preparing for a substack today uh trying to get all my documents ready so i could uh do this program and i was uh then i decided to do some research on it now, I know all you three gentlemen have heard of Patrick Henry, and I, I'm going to do a little bit of a survey here for my own Substack. I hope you don't mind. It, it's uh, for you folks who might be interested. It's michaelgaddy.substack.com, and I'm doing a uh, Substack on Patrick Henry. 
And here was the thing I was really interested in, and you guys are just perfect for my panel on this. And so let me start off with Richard. Richard, tell me everything you can remember you were taught in public school about Patrick Henry. Oh, I mean, that's going back quite a ways uh, as far as history class growing up, Mike. I, I, I couldn't really say what what we were told in the uh, you know, the school curriculum about the man. I mean, far more fresh in my mind is, is what you've been going over about him for, for that matter. But I mean, it, it really, he didn't stand out as someone who was covered very much. I can at least um, recall that. Well, uh, great, uh, Richard. Uh, thanks for that uh, input there. I uh, actually contacted several young students who were in the uh, 12 to 14 age range for my background for this uh, upcoming substack. And I asked, and one kid who was in the fifth grade said he had never heard of Patrick Henry. And the other two uh, that I uh, surveyed said that, yes, uh, we heard of Patrick Henry. He said, give me liberty or give me death. And I said, what else do you know about him? And they said, nothing. So uh, let me jump up there to Mr. Scorpio. Scorpio, what were you taught about Patrick Henry? Well, uh, I'm going to second what uh, you were told, uh, give me liberty or give me death. That was the only thing I remember ever being mentioned about him in history class, and I actually uh, majored in American history. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's incredible. I had one uh, grown-up tell me that uh, he did – hear Patrick Henry's name mentioned uh, in his uh, founding uh, era class uh, many years ago. But uh, there was no detail about Patrick Henry other than give me liberty or give me death. Uh, Stephen, your experiences, sir. That's about it. I do think I do. I remember something about him being with the House of Bur- in the House of Burgesses back from middle school. You know that when we were when they were talking about it, but that that, that was vague. It's just the you know I just heard that them mentioned whether he was mentioned at the same time or not, and I know it now. And I'm thinking I did that. That could be too. I just remember the liberty or death thing mostly. Yeah. Well, that's what we're taught, and. I think that there is a very obvious reason that we have never been taught about who Patrick Henry actually was. And and I think that is and of course the you know the old story and it's tr- the uh, problem for me uh when I think about that that he's been left out. But anyway, Jumping to uh, from there, and folks, I hope you uh, will take advantage and uh, have a good look at my uh, substack when I get the Patrick Henry done. I hope to do that tomorrow. But here's another question I want to ask you guys. I hope you don't mind. But we had a gentleman, and I use that term loosely, who ran for president. And in 2016, he made this statement. He said, becoming the nominee of the party of Abraham Lincoln, a lot of people don't realize that Abraham Lincoln, the great Abraham Lincoln, was a Republican, has been the greatest honor of my life, unquote. Well, you know, that troubled me a bit back in 2016 when he made that statement. But then just a week or so ago, I saw where he made another statement 
Now, this is recent when he said, and I quote, it is much easier to act presidential than what we are doing here tonight. Believe me, with the exception of the late, great Abraham Lincoln, I can be more presidential than any president that's ever held this office, unquote. Now, I've got one simple question. I'm going to start with you, Stephen Douglas Whitener, because I know you're like me. You're a southerner. So let me ask you a question. How could you support that man? Oh, well, yeah, good question. You know, I, he, he was talking about uh, uh, the right things there. It seemed like about if making this country, you know, for Americans again and, and all uh, just ridiculous, man. Sucked me into politics again, just like Ron Paul did. Uh, but it didn't, you know, yeah. I don't see how anyone could now, especially after what we've seen. Okay, I, I, I'm ashamed that I, I actually did at one point, although I, I, I didn't vote. I just, uh, but I was glad that he had won. You know, I kind of that kind of, and you know, it still does show that there's a, a, a remnant of people out there who would uh, <laughs> crave what liberty is, what at least is presented to the mass. It, it is, you know. Hmm. Well, Scorpio, you're from Southern California, so uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> you know, uh, it's good to remember, too, that the alternative was Hillary Clinton, so that made the, uh, what's the old saying, a, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So that made it more palatable to people, I think. And uh, I just think that um, it was a very well-designed uh, psyop to uh, change the paradigm of american politics and i think we're actually seeing that play out today and of course uh you mentioned uh, abraham lincoln you know the other person that venerates abraham lincoln uh, is this mark levin character the uh oh gosh is israel first lawyer uh that pretends to be an american patriot he has a picture of abraham lincoln behind him in all of his shows uh, interestingly enough yeah, well, I'll never remember. I'll never forget. Actually, I think it was fifth grade, and uh, my grandfather took me to a parent-teacher conference, and we got to the door, and my grandfather said, "Come on, boy, we're leaving." And I said, "What's the matter?" And he said, "I ain't going in no room with that sob's picture on the wall." And of course, in the fifth grade, I wasn't exactly sure what he was talking about. So the next day, I go back to class, and I look up there, and the picture's Abraham Lincoln. So <laughs> it's a little it's a little weird, but uh, Richard, your thoughts, please, sir. Well, I mean, frankly, most people have refined well, most in the establishment uh, who are conditioning the students in the education system, in particular, are refining more and more uh, praise. Uh, singling out Abraham Lincoln on a pedestal because of the official narrative of the Civil War. I, I actually just had uh, a colleague, a friend, well, a friend of mine who's a caller and listener at RBN uh, going into some topics just in some various uh, you know, stream of consciousness texting, but he, he was bringing this up. I mean, we still have a lot of people around here who, who seem, well, ruled by 
predetermined conclusions based on how they want to see the nation and how they how they their emotions uh, affect things and just uh, ways to simplify things you know black and white good and evil right and wrong and uh, it just seems simpler to demonize the south uh, but also i mean just the whole idea that the civil war the war of northern aggression was about slavery is is pretty strongly embedded in most people's psyche and of course abraham lincoln being a, a representative of of uh, freeing the black man uh, these days uh, as much as we're under uh, control of jewish elites uh, they know they cannot really prop up themselves as the you know the the great representative uh, martyr uh, as effectively as other races who've had more uh, to do with this nation. I mean, you know, them at two percent, blacks are uh, you know considerably higher than two percent uh, amount, no matter what time period you go to it. And so, just using these other non-white races, particularly the black race, as a, as a symbol of um, well of justice, you know, and humanity. That that's that's what Abraham Lincoln represents to these people who who use it like a badge, uh, a virtue signal badge on their arm, uh, like you mentioned this Mark Levin. So I don't know that that that's that's the way I I see it quite frankly. But yeah, no, a lot of people they they just have that hardwired in them, and it and it doesn't seem like you'll be able to change their mind about Abraham Lincoln or or the uh, purpose of the Civil War. Well, here's another thing that I think most people don't think about, guys, and I want to get your comments on this. You know, everybody looks at him, looks toward him as, oh, yes, he freed the slaves. No, he didn't. Even blacks uh, authors have said he didn't free the slaves. Uh, you know, especially, I was trying to think of his name right now, but uh, anyway, he was the editor of Ebony Magazine, and he wrote a book about uh, Lincoln, the Great White Hope. And uh, I mean, and it wasn't. He stated very unequivocally that it didn't happen. But here's the thing that really troubles me about that: How many people are aware that in 1862 Abraham Lincoln ordered the largest mass execution of American Indians in our history? Anybody know anything about that? Let's start with uh, Stephen. Stephen. Yes, there was something else that happened coinciding with that that was very it, – it, it, I forgot the, the, what happened at the same time, too, or just a few days later. It was that it, one of his uh, children died. And? Uh, Phil, you tell the rest of the story, sir. I, I, you, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here, but yes, I have heard this. Well, it actually happened. It was the Santee Sioux in uh i think it was minnesota and they had uh they had protested because the united states had signed a treaty with them and offered them 1.4 million dollars for their land and they had never been paid and so they had a bad year a growing year they the people had no food so they went into the Indian agent place and just took the food that was destined for them. Of course, under Lincoln, most of his uh, plum uh, Indian agent appointees were taking whatever goods were sent to them and selling them on the open market for themselves. That's documented. 
But then he orders the execution. And the trials of these people lasted less than 10 minutes, and they had no defense. They were not offered any defense. Many of them couldn't even speak English. And yet he ordered on the 26th day of December in 1862 that 39 of them be hanged. And there was no evidence that any of those that were hanged were involved in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And then Lincoln sends to the uh, white residents of Minnesota who are living on the Indian land, he sends them money, which was more than what he owed the Indians for the property. But this is not new. This is a normal uh, go-as-you-will American policy, it seems, as we still continue the idiocy of these Marxists. Uh, Scorp, your comments, please, sir. Well, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and, of course, if anyone looks into Abraham Lincoln's private writings, he was very racist, actually. He wrote very disparagingly about black people. Uh, quite openly so the idea that he was some emancipator and was looking out for the black folk it's pretty far off uh, from history and it's it's really amazing how historians have kept this um, covered up even though you can find the writings fairly easily if you just look for them yes so, so that that's amazing in and of itself and you know you mentioned your grandfather wouldn't go into the room with uh, a picture of abraham lincoln in it. that kind of made me chuckle it made me think of this is a little bit off color uh humor here but uh or experience but you know when i was driving down to visit uh daryl i came across a uh, southern uh confederate bookstore a confederacy bookstore so of course i had to stop in and i got to talking to the guys and at one point i had to use the bathroom and i walk in the bathroom and in the urinal is a picture of the none other than abraham lincoln which i had to Think, well, gee, that's a pretty good place for a picture of that guy. So there you go. <laughs> was it on the? Was it on the commode? It, it was in the urinal, actually inside the urinal. <laughs> well, that's a great place for. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, your uh, comments on that? Bullseye. There you go. That's perfect. I, I like that idea. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty uh, much bullseye. Yeah. <laughs> well, today. Today, uh, one of the crazy things when I posted. Uh, uh, on Facebook that it's about time, you know, how could anyone support this man who said this? Uh, I had a, a wonderful, <laughs> yeah, it, an idiotic comment that came back, guys, and I would like your comment on this, and you tell me if this is not what's wrong with America today. Some guy sends me a comment, and he says, well, just because Trump was a Oh, Mike, that, you cut out there Mike, for a couple yeah, we, seconds. We, we, just because Trump, and then it dropped. <clears throat> oh, well, I'm sorry. I've got something going on here, guys. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. We're having some weather, and I am going on and off. I'm cutting out. Uh, I tell you what, Stephen, take over for this for me uh, for the next few minutes, and let me try to get this straightened out. Would you please, sir? Well, yes, it sounds good now, though. We we can hear you right now. That was okay. Good, but, uh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm watching about- it. I'm watching my own screen here as I look on my laptop, and from time to time it just goes blip, and it's all gone. I'm so I'm going to have uh, to check the radar. Yeah. That sounds – yes, sir. Uh, uh, Duncan, you, okay. you're having well, weather. Yeah, we'll you know. try to – 
we'll try to keep going as best we can. I, uh, uh, listeners, I apologize. It's not uh, anything intentional that I'm doing. There's something going on with this storm we got going on. But anyway, uh, it's in and out, which seems to be my internet for whatever reason. Uh, but uh, yes, this this whole thing. But if you would please, are we not in the mess we're in? Because the people we vote for, I don't vote, hadn't voted since 92. But is this not classic that we shouldn't worry because a candidate is ignorant of history, but we ought to vote for him anyway? Oh, that's what they said, that it didn't matter if he was ignorant of history, because you cut out right when you said that. Yes, yes, that just, yeah, oh, well, well, I think that. They, they count on that too, I guess. I mean, uh, you you know, I keep thinking when, <clears throat> when you talk about Trump, I, I remember the, I think it, we talked about it here maybe, where the, the briefing that the new president gets with those photographs on the table of the people been assassinated from. The, I mean, come on. I mean, I could, had never thought of it <clears throat> like that before. And it just, the, the way Trump's demeanor changed, and it just, uh, I can just imagine how that, that would, would happen. You know, and looking back, I can see a certain time when he walked, you know, I don't know if that's when it happened, but at some point he did kind of change a lot, too. So people, uh, the people who are pulling the strings are not who we're voting for. You all that's just what it boils down to. You can vote for a puppet, but never those puppet masters. Yeah, well, I I mentioned to this guy because he was saying, well, you know, Trump protected the uh, the monuments from being torn down. No, he didn't. And then he appointed the lady, uh, I call her that, and that's a very loose uh, term, uh, Nikki, whatever her name is, who was uh, governor of South Carolina. That uh, Daily Nimrata, yes, sir. Yeah, Nimrata is her real name. <laughs> yes, sir. Disgusting. Oh, what a what an embarrassment she is. Sorry oh, to interrupt you, sir, but yes. Sorry, sorry guys. That is Lizzie Graham. Yeah, yeah, the same thing. And they, they she he appointed Nikki Haley to his cabinet and she had torn down a uh, confederate monument so to speak and then it that's okay i, I i'm i'm lost here guys I, i'm sorry I, this just doesn't make sense to me and i believe that the here's my point and this is what i wanted you guys to help me discuss is is there any way that this country can survive with the level of ignorance among the 330 people at the level that it is. Scorp, you want to start? Well, uh, it depends what you mean by survive, but, you know, the uh, I'm firmly convinced that every one of the uh, Congress critters and senators actually uh, are profiled. They have a psychological profile that's uh, drawn up by various security agencies and they actually try to find people to run for office who have skeletons in their closet uh so that can be used for future blackmailing and control and then with these psychological profiles they also know how to manipulate them what makes them tick and the best way to deal with these people whether it be bribe them or threaten them or um whatever it takes to make them step in the line and dance the right dance as far as survival, uh, I think we've already crossed the Rubicon, Mike. Um, the, the country as we know it is not going to survive. Um, 
what's going to matter is what happens on the other end when they're when they're done with stripping the the rest of the flesh off the bones of this country. What uh, do we plan to do at that point? But I, I think, honestly, I hate to say this, but I think we, we've already crossed that point, and they are going to complete their plan no matter what we do or say right now. The big question is what we do after, how we respond to that. Well, that's great. we got music coming up. We'll be back on the flip side, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to RBN. tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers, providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free, and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Email tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. 
Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. HempPaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at RepublicBroadcasting.org and visit HempPaste.com slash RBN. Renegade Roundtable here on RBN on the 14th day of January, year 2024, and we have been discussing, you know, some kind of kind of weird stuff that's uh, going on with that, uh, with especially with the uh, people who think that a, a political candidate who supports Abraham Lincoln uh, and as a Confederate, they think that's a good thing, and that uh, proves to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that the majority of this country is not only insanely ignorant, but they're damn proud of it. So, uh, Richard, uh, throw me a subject, buddy. What would you like to talk about now? Well, uh, no, I mean, this this gentleman uh, from the uh, RBN listenership, I mean, uh, he he says he's actually tried to bring up some of these things. You know, I mean, like I said, he's convinced, you know, that uh, the Civil War was about slavery, and uh, well, you know, this this idea Lincoln freed the slaves that that's what it was about. Uh, he said he's brought up the Missouri Compromise to you. He feels like that is evidence that it was about slavery, for example. And he says that uh, he feels that uh, it got diverted uh, in your response that. Uh, to a different topic that and he never really got a good clear answer to that for example maybe maybe that could help for some people out there if, if you could help uh set them straight on um on that point well uh somebody uh please explain to me why if the war was about slavery why lincoln himself had a congressman author an amendment which would have made slavery perpetual in the country and outside the rights of congress 
Why would he have done that? If he opposed slavery, why would he have been involved in an amendment? And that Corwin Amendment was actually ratified by both houses, the Senate and the House of Representatives, and sent to the states for ratification. And this was uh, at Lincoln's request from this congressman. So why, if he was opposed and he was going to war to stop slavery, why would he propose an amendment that would make it perpetual? And at the same time, if the South had gone to war to preserve it, why would they not have rejoined the Union, passed the amendment, and perpetuated slavery forever in the Constitution? Well, this would well, have I mean, prevented the war. Well, again, okay. though, I mean, mm-hmm. like according to the official, oh. like, well, Wikipedia is just what anyone puts in there they find is kosher enough to stay in there. But uh, on Wikipedia, yes, but uh, Wikipedia says Missouri Compromise was federal legislation that balanced desires of northern states to prevent expansion of slavery in the country with those of southern states to expand it. It admitted Missouri as a slave state and Maine as a free state and declared a policy of prohibiting slavery in the remaining Louisiana Purchase lands north of the 36 degree 30 parallel. So, well, Richard, was, yeah. oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, sir. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. So, I mean, if you could just clear this up, then, I mean, I, for this gentleman and, and others who, I mean, you know, again, I mean, we're, we're told uh, official uh, information that is, well, history ruled and written by the victors, right? I mean, so just like, I mean, the Holocaust, for example, or anything out there, you know, I mean, and so, I mean, how this is what we're told. And so, right. okay, so, so, I mean, how is this, it, it was, it's, it was important for uh, them to at least use it later on as, as the uh, reason slavery that is for the, for the civil war. Um, do you think, I mean, more people knew at the time it wasn't about that, you'd say? Oh, yes. So here's the here's the critical issue here. And I I hope this gentleman will look this up. But have you ever heard of the Dred Scott decision by the Supreme Court in 1857? No, sir. Well, you might want to look that up because the Supreme Court in 1857 said the Missouri Compromise was unconstitutional. Okay. Okay. Uh, Stephen, do you have comment on this? Yeah, I'd say that's. The Missouri, that was more about power than about the slavery even you know this, this uh, and there was this huge site there was a lot going on uh, the 48ers had come over here they formed all these communist clubs everywhere and, and there was a lot of agitation happening and uh, it had come to the point where they weren't <clears throat> they didn't need to bring in new slaves too that, that the that slaves reproduced themselves. You know, this was more about slavery in the sense that it changed, it eliminated this huge pool of capital that the South had that was human capital. Uh, granted, but that's what they had destroyed that and then <clears throat> made all of us fiscal slaves. And, and, and you know, it just, it, it was about ba- you know, the hazard circular comes to mind in the banking thing because it was more about that than anything else this was an economic war to same people who have you know came behind the scenes it's always been like that you know it just these these notions people have about uh great causes and stuff that it just people were 
worried about what was close to home for them. But they maybe have, had read like Uncle Tom's Cabin or something, and, and people read a lot more back then. Times were so much different, you know. And trying to put our morality back in that time is is wrong. Especially, another well, Stephen, example of this. Yeah, let me go ahead. Well, Stephen, I, I mean, yeah. But well, okay, well, there's just like I said, some like um, you know this uh, gentleman uh, we know. It was mm-hmm. pointing out how, well, at the point of the Civil War, the northern states had come to the point where they realized they did not want to coexist uh, in, in the same areas with blacks. Uh, they did not want to mm-hmm. live with blacks, and they didn't want uh, to exploit the blacks that they wanted them sent away, and that and that the South wanted to continue exploiting uh, the you know the black uh, slave labor. I mean, so this is the impression a lot of people uh, evidently have out there. You know, um, well, that's what I was. Well, there was a plan. Jefferson Davis had an emancipation plan, too. It wasn't like – I mean, slavery would have ended without the war, okay, at at least as the institution it was. And it was not – it wasn't about um, the South being more powerful as much when they – especially when they talked about counting them as three-fifths because if the the people were counted, then the South would have as much power as the North, and they had more economic power because of the climate and things too. But you know, it just—it's more about power than than this slavery, economic power between the states than it was of the, you know, the slavery and the the owner. It's just you know that was that was the industrial base and the agricultural base and everything for the society that had been here for two hundred years. Mr. Gaddy, and then it, it come like in with wanted- the Marxists. The Marxists came in and just genocided us. That's Mr. what happened, Mr. Gaddy. It sounded like you wanted to say something too, but I'm starting to feel that we're uh, ne- neglecting uh, Mr. Scorpio. Well, uh, Dave, uh, your thoughts, sir. Well, wh- why don't you respond, Mike, and then I'll, I'll jump in after you. Okay, uh, Richard, have you ever heard of the Wilmot Proviso? I have not, sir. Okay, eighteen eighteen 1840s. Uh, there is a big movement to keep uh, slaves or to keep, yes, to keep slaves out of the western, new western territories. And in the Wilmot Proviso, which was offered as an amendment to the Constitution at one time, with the Wilmot Proviso, what he said in the Proviso was we need to keep slaves, to keep blacks out of these western territories because it should only be for white people. That's why they didn't want slavery in the territories, because they said it was a – that they wanted it for white people. Is that racist or not? Thoughts, gentlemen? Well, um, I thought Stephen brought up some interesting points in that slavery was on its way out regardless of the war. The invention of the cotton gin, for one thing, was simply making it – economically unfeasible and not profitable and secondly you know there were so many slaves uh, by by that by the beginning of the war that they were actually dropping in value um, you know to put it bluntly so and thirdly uh you know you can't the idea that the morality would have stayed the same that the idea that slavery would be acceptable forever anywhere uh just isn't realistic that people's concepts of morality change over time certain ideas come into the ether or whatever you want to say and they're irresistible they can't be stopped 
And I think the idea that slavery was wrong was certainly uh, happening. Th th that was in the ether already at that point. So uh, even my high, my teacher in college, a uh, history teacher uh, that taught American history, even th this guy admitted that uh, the invention of the cotton gin essentially made slavery on its way out, regardless of the war. Well, and also, David, great point, but we also have to remember, as has been alluded to here, the reproduction rate among four million slaves in the South was astronomical. And it was getting to the point in many of the southern states where they didn't even have to import slaves anymore. They weren't importing the slaves from the slave traders and the slave shippers out of Rhode Island, Boston, and other places who were going to Africa, uh, taking molasses, coming back, bringing slaves. And when the market went dry in the south because there was no problem, in Virginia there were actually slave auctions that had nothing to do with imported slaves. Here were people who were seeing an overproduction, and they were selling them on the market because they saw them as a commodity. But here's the point that really troubles me. These wonderful people we call founding fathers insisted on putting slavery into the Constitution in 1787. Insisted. And people like to blame it on Georgia and South Carolina. Georgia and South Carolina were two states. They were not 13. So they were outnumbered 11, you know, 11 to 2. So don't try to blame it on South Carolina and Georgia for standing up for having slavery in the Constitution. It is totally incorrect. The slave trade was commerce, and it was huge at that period of time, and they were bringing in slaves in large numbers. And it's just the thing of it is, is let me give this uh, kind of an example to you guys. I come over and say, hey, guys, here, I'm going to give you a gun. I've got out of my personal collection, I'm going to give you a gun. Two days later, I come over and shoot you for having it. Now, how does that make any sense? They put slavery into the Constitution. When the South Southern states seceded, slavery was constitutional. Lincoln, If Lincoln had been against slavery, his first act would have been to ask Congress to outlaw slavery. Did it happen? No. It did not happen. So that fallacy, and the greatest Marxist historian we have in America, Eric Foner, actually said in one of his books, and he is just totally against the South, everything. He's an Abraham Lincoln lover, and in his own book, he said slavery was not the cause of the war. So why do we keep, even if the Marxists say it wasn't the cause of the war, why do we keep repeating it over and over? Well, I can tell you the, the easy answer for that is that it pushes emotional buttons, and uh, that's very powerful. Once you get people into an emotional state, Reason and facts and um, logic go right out the window, and, and the controllers know this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're playing, they're playing a big game. Here's, here's the other thing I would look to, like to run by the people who believe that the South was responsible for slavery. There was never a southern ship that ever brought a slave to America. Never. Not one southern ship brought slaves. Who financed the purchase of slaves? northern bankers they were profiting from financing the purchases of these slaves and i had a friend who was a uh, professor at uh, university of maryland eastern shore and 
I guess it's been 20, 30 years ago, they did a study on what exactly in today's dollars a prime field hand and a house made would sell for in today's dollars. And guys, a, it, equi- the equivalent of 20 grand. So uh, this is the thing that just really gets to me about the perversions of history to pervert them, to pervert the emotional, as you mentioned, Dave. And it, it's just, I don't know, I, I get angry that people will do not want to believe the truth intellectually because their emotions tell them not to. But let's bring up something else. You know, let's stop and think, why do we have a 15th Amendment? Look at that. Why did they have to have an amendment which allowed blacks to vote three years after the South had given them the vote under Reconstruction? The fact was is that when the South was ordered to allow blacks to vote to promote the Republican Party, northern states still didn't allow them to vote. We had to wait three years to get an amendment to the Constitution to allow blacks to vote in the northern states. Now, somebody please explain to me how that's fair. Stephen? That's not. uh, I I wanted to point out that I think I learned the opposite about the cotton gin, too. uh, That back, you know, that uh, it actually expanded slavery in the South because it made it so much easier to process if they needed that many more back at 1790-something, and then, you know, so it grew from that, that that, it did, that wasn't what put it on the way out, but that just that was just a, something I noticed I, I wanted to mention. And this, I, I have this book here I've been looking through from 1928 that tells uh, some of these things, okay, some of them, not not all of the things that you, <clears throat> you've taught us, but there's some things in here that have been since purged i guess from from people's curriculum because i don't remember reading this stuff in the 60s and 70s a lot of stuff that's in here stuff that's in here about the artist confederation too and the way it is for people to blame the south i mean it's just they always got to have somebody to blame this this people have learned this fairy tale about history from hollywood instead of actual history or, or 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 learning it from to people who lived it, I guess it, it, we're we're all we're all programmed that way. People have got to unlearn so much; it, it's hard for them to to come around. I guess that's why the person would think would keep thinking that that uh, you know it was all about slavery. I mean, it's look, it existed, slavery existed, but the war wasn't fought because of that. That the war was manipulated by the same people that always manipulate our wars. Well, here's a classic example. Uh, Stephen, you've mentioned it, and I would like to read it, and that is the Hazard Circular, which was issued by the International Jewish Banking Cabal. Now, listen to this. Slavery is likely to be abolished by the war power and chattel slavery abolished. This I and my European friends are in favor of, for slavery is but the owning of labor— and carries with it the core, the care of labor, while the European plan, or the banker's plan, led on by England, is that capital shall control labor by controlling wages. The great debt that capitalists will see to it is made out of the Civil War must be used to control the value of money. To accomplish this, the government bonds must be used as the banking basis. 
We are now waiting for the Secretary of the Treasury of the United States to make this recommendation. It will not do to allow greenbacks, as they are called, to circulate as money any length of time, as we cannot control that. But we can control the bonds, and through those bonds, we will control the bank. So they knew that slavery was dying. These Jewish bankers knew, the Rothschilds and all the rest. And how many people know that uh, you know prior to the Civil War, the Rothschilds had one of their uh, James, Solomon James Rothschild traveling throughout the North and the South. And if you read his 13 letters, you'll figure this out, what the bankers were doing. The Civil War was a banker's war just like every other war. And they were there for a reason. And number one is when Lincoln and uh, came out with the greenback, they panicked. They could not allow just a currency with no debt to, to continue. And I, I really get upset with people who want to skim the surface of history without looking at the core. And, of course, the schools are not going to teach you the core. But uh, your thoughts, Scorp? Well, uh, first, Mike, let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, Stephen had some kind of contradictory uh, evidence about the co cotton gin. What, what's your thinking on this? Because I, I was always taught and learned that the cotton gin actually helped make slavery less profitable. It was one of the reasons why it was on its way out anyway. So maybe you could address that, and then I'll comment. Oh, very much so, Dave. Uh, but it, I have read both sides of this over the years. There were people whose opinion was that the cotton gin would make the difference and that it would eliminate or at least reduce drastically the number of slaves. Well, the bankers who are financing slaves are not going to like that, are they? Right. So th I've read both sides and, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure there's what I look at so many times. And, you know, one of the uh, I'm trying to think of his name right now, April Ellison, William April Ellison, uh, was a uh, man who made cotton gins in Sumter, South Carolina. He made cotton gins, and he also repaired cotton gins, and people would bring them to him from miles away or either order a new one to have him make it. He was one of the richest men in the state of South Carolina, happened to be black, and he owned 68 slaves. See, the hypocrisy of this whole thing is just, and that's documented, folks. His son married a white woman who was an indentured servant from Ireland, and he served in the Confederate Army. This well, that is messes the, up all the paradigms, doesn't it, Mike? Oh, it just tears it all to pieces, Dave. Yeah. And, well, you and know, the, there were quite a few black slave owners. That's another thing that's rarely mentioned. And this, I think this would be a good time to reiterate that uh, it's been proven through research uh, from uh, a series of books called The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews, published by the Nation of Islam, oh, yeah. that the slave ships were owned and operated by Jews. And uh, this was all dug up using Jewish historical sources, not anti-Semitic hate speech sources. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, what, who was the guy who actually put that out? The Nation of Islam did it. but uh, uh, Farrakhan. Farrakhan. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. And Farrakhan did not mention anything in those books. I have them. 
He didn't mention, he didn't place blame anywhere. The entire set is nothing but actual Jewish documents, shipping documents out of Rhode Island, shipping documents out of Boston, shipping documents out of New York that show almost unequivocally that the slave trade was all Jewish. So then yeah. we look at then we look and at the, the auctioneers bank. and the people that ran the auction houses as well. Yes. So then when we look at this and then suddenly we see these same people, the Jewish bankers, once that the slaves start reproducing to the point that the slave trade was diminishing, uh-oh, we got to do something about this. We can't allow this to happen because there goes our money. And 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 your point about how the north was benefiting uh, financially from the slave trade and, uh, well, the implementation of slaves into the South originally. I mean, I mean, pointing out, of course, how Jews owned 90% of the slave ships and, you know, were completely the profiteers of the slave trade and control of it. Just look how much Jewish power is instilled in the northern states, the Northeast, to this day. You know, I mean, ever since migrating from uh, Europe and uh, what have you, it's been that way. It, uh, you know, it's not changed. So, I mean, you know, the, the idea that uh, so, yeah, Jewish power has always been stronger in in the northern uh, original states is the impression I have that in the south uh, it would have to be, I would think. And I mean, to this day, well, in this current era, I mean, I'd say the most powerful faction, incidentally, for a side note, of Jewish power. I don't, I don't believe that it resides in England or in Israel. I believe it resides in New York, you know, and surrounding areas in, in the United States. But uh, I don't know. So I just wanted to throw that in there, Mike. Well, uh, guys, and we're getting close to time here. I hope I can get this book recommendation in before we hit the break. But uh, there is a book out there, folks, if you want to read it. And it was written by Yankees. In Connecticut, it wasn't written by us Southern boys. It was written, and it's called Complicity, How the North Promoted, Prolonged, and Profited from Slavery. There's the break. We'll get back on the other side. Thank you, guys. Just miners on an island somewhere Lord, we got folks in the street Ain't got nothing to eat And the whole beast milking welfare What the world's gotten to For people like me People like you Wish I could just wake up And it not be true But it is All it is Living in the new world With an old soul These rich men know the rich men Lord knows they all Just want to have total control Wanna know what you think Wanna know what you do And then I'll think 
think you know, but I know that you do, because your dollar ain't sh- You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network, because you can handle the truth. Truth, 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 truth. truth. 